and welcome to another episode of I'll Be There For You, a show about pop culture and coping. I'm your host slash producer slash snack mom, Lindsay Ennett. And every episode I bring on a funny or interesting person to talk about a piece or two of pop culture that got them through a difficult time in their lives. Why am I doing this? I really enjoy talking to people about the things they love and how how they care for themselves and their communities when the world is quite literally on fire. My guest today is Brandon Prosek. I'm very, very excited that he's here with us today. He's a writer, comedian, and producer who can be seen performing around Chicago. Through his production company, Entertainment Buffet, he produces Brews and Bad Movies, a stand-up comedy and commentary show. Faux Pas Comedy Show in Forest Park, Illinois, and Glass Half Full in Geneva, Illinois. You're just like the the king of the suburbs here. <laughs> and uh, he also hosts the Entertainment Buffet podcasts and co-created a pirate adventure comic book called Flintlocked. Please tell me more about this pirate adventure comic book. <laughs> First, I like how you say funny or interesting. Can't be both. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They're not necessarily mutually exclusive. No, I know. But no, that's, uh, yeah. Whenever I have to like write out the stuff I'm doing, I'm like, God, I sound like a crazy person. I juggle so many projects. But thank you so much for having me, Lizzie. I appreciate coming on the podcast. As someone who hosts a podcast, it's always fun to be uh, a guest uh, every now and then and not have to be running the, uh, you know, how the format goes and everything. So this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm super excited that you're here with us today. So I guess to start, uh, just kind of give us, excuse me, your show and tell for today is... Actually, yeah, I uh, I know one big one I want to talk about was The Big Sick, uh, that movie. But uh, you did ask about my comic book. Yeah, my roommate and I co-created a comic book. Uh, we both write it, and he uh, does all the art for it. Uh, I kind of help like storyboard and do like the business side of things, like the logistics, and try to lead more of the writing. But yeah, he does all the artwork himself, which is insane because a lot of comic books have like an inker, a colorist, you know, someone who does the layouts. And he does all of it. <laughs> That's really impressive. <laughs> yeah, and we just have the first issue out right now, but we're working on later. We have tons written. Uh, we have. Uh, second issue storyboarded. He's working on inking that, but with two guys who have full-time jobs plus other projects plus this, uh, it, it, it takes time, and comic books take time in general. So, oh, of course. Uh, only the first issue is currently out in, in some stores in Chicago, but uh, uh, also online. We're working. It should be on Amazon soon. So why Pirates? Pirates. It's quite, We A few years ago when we came up with that, he kind of had a loose idea for a pirate comic book, and then he kind of was just spitballing it with me, and I, and I w- we were just both talking about pirates in general. I'm like, you know, besides like Pirates of the Caribbean, and then like that show Black Sails, there's like not a ton of pirate content out there. Uh, it seems like even though like that was a thing that you love as like kids, you know, you love the swashbuckling sword adventure, you know, sword fights and ship battles and whatnot, and it just felt like, why are there not many movies besides Pirates of the Caribbean or this Black Sails show 
why is it like not that many? Uh, and so he kind of had this loose idea that we kept spitballing it. And before you know it, we're like, hey, we should actually work on this. <laughs> we like this idea and we like these characters and we like where we think this story can go. And it can be like our own version of, you know, a pirate adventure that we would want to see. And, you know, like I, I always say when we're working on it, I'm like, man, if this were adapted into a TV series, like I would love the show. Like, we're just really proud of the story. Yeah, it's it's just been a blast to work on. It's been a long process the last few years uh, working on. Um, but like I said, we both have full-time jobs. <laughs> <laughs> He's an actor. I'm a writer-producer. So it's like we're always juggling multiple things. And in the background, we're like, yeah, we're still working on it. <laughs> of course. And and I think it's it sounds like a super cool project. And it's a reminder to everyone listening, you are never too old for for swashbuckling. Oh yeah, definitely not. I mean, it's but if you really think about it, like, doesn't it feel like that's a genre that's just kind of untapped? I know that the big reason I did research on it was like, why aren't there more movies about it? It's probably because I found out that they're usually super expensive, and then there was a couple that bombed. So Hollywood was just like, we're not doing these anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, Cut, uh, Cutthroat Island, one of the greatest box office bombs of all time. It was a movie. Yeah, yeah, but I like how it scared the entire industry. They're just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess Waterworld, which is also a pretty famous historic historic bomb, and yeah. as as uh, the curator of brews and bad movies, I'm sure you have a lot of of Waterworld takes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's certainly going to be on our list at some point. But yeah, the, which it is funny when you start producing a bad movie show, how many times people come up and do like, oh, have you heard of and this bad movie? And it's just like, nope, but I'll put it on the list. <laughs> so if, if you don't mind my asking, I'm sure this question is going to make you roll your eyes. What is your favorite bad movie? Ooh, yeah, that's, that, that is a question I get a lot. I mean, one that I consider one of the worst of the worst, obviously most people have seen The Room with Tommy Wiseau. Mm-hmm. I think so far, as far as like what we've done, one that's bad because I grew up watching it and didn't know it was bad was Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I forget that she just forget, lit up. I forget sometimes that podcasting is not a visual medium. Um, <laughs> but she just lit up. Her but, face lit up. Oh my god, the capitalist nightmare. <laughs> this jingle all the way. Yeah. Well, to me, that movie. Like, sure. I bet some people are like, "Oh, it's just a family film." Da 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 da. I'm like, yeah. But if you watch it again now, with just the absurd plot and Arnold trying to be funny. And all the antics that go on. There's a lot of dark jokes for a family film. So, like, it's it's my favorite, not because it's the worst or anything, but just because I loved it as a kid. And then now watching it through the lens of being an adult who's almost 30, I'm like, what? What? How did this? How did this get by as a family film? This movie is bleak as hell. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, like there's literally a part where like Sinbad's Sinbad's character in the movie The Mailman is literally like a psychopath. Like he just starts choking a woman at one point. He threatens police with a bomb, and, and like the bomb does go off, and uh, it just it it becomes. Someone described it as just a live action cartoon, uh, <laughs> and it just to me. It's one of those movies that I think so many people have seen and they just remember it from the 90s. Uh, and because I'm around that age when I was a kid in the 90s 
or like even my parents were like, oh, I remember that being fun. I was like, have you watched it lately? <laughs> no. Yeah. So that's that, that's probably my favorite to make fun of, and like I, I've but like there's so many. Uh, we recently did Mortal Kombat Annihilation on the show. Yes. <laughs> Which that one uh, is ridiculous. But there's so many. Uh, what the crazy thing about bad movies is there are so many subgenres of bad movies. There are ones that are just filmed terribly because the people don't know what they're doing. I originally, uh, I just recently watched the original Dolomite, and like that's almost like the room where it's just like, oh, they just didn't know what they were doing. The editing is really bad. The angles are really bad. Like they have some really close close-ups that you're like, that's uncomfortably close. And uh, and then there's just bad because the story is bad, bad because the acting's bad. Like there's so many different kinds of bad um, that like people will recommend these movies and i'll see them and i'm like woof uh <laughs> and then you have, there's a continuum you have like the room bad and then the high gloss bad of like cats <laughs> i still need to see cats but i've heard Brandon. That, that, yeah that I, I, I a lot of people are like well you you of all people have to see it i'm like don't worry i'm gonna see it at some point but i just haven't yet uh, but I enjoyed the idea that it seemed like, oh, wait, this is a future bad movie that just came out in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas usually these are bad movies from the 80s or the 90s. Uh. I've never seen something become a cult classic so fast. Yeah. <laughs> and then all like tons of actors turned on it right away. I'm like, how did none of you notice it was going to be this bad while you were doing it? Because the idea of cats in general seems ridiculous. Like the, I didn't see it in uh, uh, as a play uh, or a musical, but it just seems like it was ridiculous from the start. <laughs> Nostalgia and lots and lots of money are usually <laughs> combined a hell of a drug. <laughs> so let's talk about the real reason we're here, um, which is the big sick. Yes. Uh, for folks that may not be familiar with that movie, can you give us like the super quick Cliff Notes version? Sure. Written by Kumail Nanjiani and Emily Gordon, uh, who are married in real life. And it's kind of a loose uh, story about how they actually met. Uh, Kumail plays himself, and they have an actress play Emily. Uh, he, he's a comedian, she's a writer, and it's kind of like how they met, and um, she uh, fell ill. And, like, he bonded with her family, and then it's not really a spoiler because it's a, them in real life, but, mm-hmm. like, and they get married. And it's it's a it's a story that, yeah, I, it's, I remember hearing them talk about it on a podcast, that they're like, yeah, we're going to write a script about how we met and everything. And I was like, oh, I wonder when that will come out. And then all of a sudden, you know, like, four years later or something, uh, I saw a trailer. I'm like, oh, they did it. Like, <laughs> they got it, and, and Kumail's going to be in it as himself. Like, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I, it's it, Because it was an indie, uh, independent film. Oh, maybe it wasn't independent. Amazon uh, made it, but, like, it, it didn't have, like, a wide release. And I think because it wasn't, you know, an action movie or a movie with a ton of giant stars. Like, it had Ray Romano and... Uh, Holly Hunter, but like some people don't know who Kumail is, and uh, yeah, it so it didn't have like a huge box office smash 
opening or anything like that. Uh, did get nominated for some awards for like writing and such and some acting awards. Apparently, one of the big things though it did well in was uh, because Kumail's Pakistani, uh, it drew big Pakistani audiences in America. It's like, hey, a movie about someone like me. Uh, who's the main character, and <laughs> and I'm not a stereotype, <laughs> and so that did well, and I was happy to see. Like uh, I heard in theaters, there would just be large Pakistani audiences. It's like great, other people get to see movies about themselves uh, or someone that's like themselves without having to see like a side character as like I don't know. You've heard the Apu controversy with Simpsons. <laughs> uh, yes, and I have seen the documentary, The Problem with Apu. Yeah, I need to see the documentary itself. But yeah, it's like, yeah, when people from certain backgrounds, that they, they're not just side stereotype characters who have like two lines. But it's like, no, he's the lead. And it's not, you know, it's, it's about his culture, but it's not uh, a negative light on it. Uh, it's written by him. So he gets to, gets to tell his story about how he grew up. You mean if Hollywood empowers people and gives them the opportunity to tell their own stories and represent their own lived experiences on screen, it'll have positive and empowering results? <laughs> Who knew? I know. And that's the thing. It's like, I think also some people were like surprised because like it did pretty decently at the box office. It didn't kill, but it, it made more than the budget. And it's like, yeah, I think if you give some audiences that are underserved, a movie and a good movie made by someone that they can relate to, they'll go out to the theaters and see it. <laughs> they won't sit at home and just watch it on Netflix. For sure. And so talk about what was kind of going on with you when you first saw The Big Sick. What about it drew you to it and made you want to come in and talk about it today? So this came out uh, summer of 2017. I had actually just separated from my wife. Uh, at the time and it was a very stressful time in my life because it, it's it stunk because uh, so at the time I was actually producing my first play that I wrote and I was really excited but then obviously polar opposites of that exciting stuff was separated with my wife and I moved back home and my parents uh, I was living in uh, the basement and so I had been wanting to see the movie, but obviously was juggling a lot between I lived in the suburbs at the time. So driving the hour and a half to the city to work on the play, um, living out of their basement, occasionally going back to my old apartment to grab stuff. Uh, the fact that my five year relationship was and marriage was like ending. So the context in which I saw it was the week of uh, our play opening. Opening night was on Thursday. And uh, Wednesday night, they were having rehearsal, but they said, as the writer and producer, like, actually, Brandon, you don't need to be there. And they're like, if you want to save driving out here, um, because I was going to be there like Thursday through Sunday for all the showings. They're like, if you want to save, stay at home. And I'm like, stay at home. What am I going to do? Uh, I am extremely anxious. Uh, is no one going to like this play? Uh, I don't know what to do. I don't want to be at home. So I literally at one point went to like Walmart near my parents' house and was just walking around Walmart. I was like, I don't know what to do with my time. And I was like, you know what? I should go see a movie. Big Sick's out. I've been wanting to see that. And so I go to Big Sick and there was only, I'd say 10 or less other people in the audience. It was a very small showing. And this was uh, early on when I first started seeing movies on my own because like for a long time, I didn't like doing that. I was like anxious that I would look weird just being by myself. 
Uh, I always like going with friends or someone to kind of talk about the movie afterwards or even like make comments during. So I was like, no, I'll just go by myself. I'll distract myself. It's like about a two hour movie. Excuse me. It did exactly what I needed. Uh, I sat and the movie started and the movie just did what movies and shows should do. It just pulled me in to the story and it helped me distract from all of my stressors and my anxiety, feeling so anxious for like those two hours. Uh, the, the movie made me laugh because it's very funny. It made me cry at some parts because it gets very emotional. I literally, it, it's like if the best way I could describe it is if I had a whiteboard with a bunch of things written of all the things I was freaking out about, uh, the, the movie just like erased the whiteboard for like two hours and said like, just relax. That's awesome. Yeah. And it did exactly what I needed. It distracted me and it, it just like, it had such an effect on me. I'm like, wow, this, I think this may be at this time. Like I'm like, I think this may be my favorite movie because like this just, it's kind of romantic comedy based. And like, I often make fun of romantic comedies because they're so formulaic, but it, it, it just did everything I wanted. It, like I said, it, it pulled me away from everything I was freaking out about. Uh, any negative thoughts, any scary thoughts, any just, uh, if I was going to have an anxiety attack, it just completely pulled me away. I was following Kumail's story, watching the performances, enjoying, you know, just everything that was happening. And yeah, it just pulled me into that world for two hours. And I was like, oh my God, like this... Whew, this is exactly what I needed. It was like, cause it was, it was like a two hour therapy session where I could just, yeah, relax. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone at some point needs that just like something that you can fully engage in and not think about whatever dark stuff is happening Yeah, on the outside. Um, I know this is very different, but the night of the 2018 election, because I just couldn't do this shit again, I went and saw Bohemian Rhapsody because I was just like, I need to just turn my phone off and look at a screen for, <laughs> yeah. for a few hours. You're immersed in this in this story, and talk to me about kind of what was going through your head and how you were feeling when you were getting out of the theater and, and getting back to real life after that, like... Yeah. What was going through your mind? I like still felt pretty good at first uh, leaving the theater. One, I was just so happy. Every time I see a good movie, I'm so happy that it's good. Uh, maybe it's because I see so many bad movies. That's fair. Um, and also because, you know, Kamel and Emily seem like very uh, nice and humble people. So to see that their story was told in such a uh, good way, I was happy that the movie was good. I was just happy that I was like, Oh my God, I shut my brain off for two hours. I didn't think that was possible with the, the anxiety levels that I was dealing with. Yeah. And, and at first I think I was a little scared cause I was like, Oh no, is this just going to ramp right back up now that the credits are rolling and I'm leaving the theater. Um, but I think if anything, it just kind of showed, it's like, no, 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 no. You just relax and have some things distract you you can get through this and luckily because i went to a little bit of a later showing it was closer to when i should be getting some sleep so therefore i was like all right well i only have x amount of hours until i go to sleep 
and then then it'll be Thursday. Then it'll be opening night, uh, opening day for my play. And uh, so yeah, I just uh, then I just wanted to tell other people about it. I was it, it became like yeah, I would just went home and told my parents about how good it was. Was texting some friends how good it was. Was just telling some other people I'm like oh, if you're thinking about seeing, definitely do. <laughs> definitely do it's so worth it and also because I was so glad I got to even though it was one ticket got to financially support this film that I know is a smaller budget film compared to you know big blockbuster superhero movies and such pulled me away from things for pretty much almost the rest of the night and I still would like get some stressors would like sink back in but I just kept thinking I'm like oh my god but that movie it just really was so funny, and as a stand-up comedian, uh, there's some movies that kind of cover it, but like for me, the thing that I loved about it is there's tons of scenes where Kamel's character as a stand-up comic is with his buddies, and they're kind of like making fun of each other, or just uh, talking about each other, or they're like shit-talking one comic, and then like when the comic walks by, they're like, oh, hey, good set. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh my god, this is what being around comics is like <laughs> when comics are shitting on comics it just one person says this and then the other person kind of riffs off that and then bounces this and I was like oh it's so cool to see that realistically on screen and I wasn't even super versed in stand up uh, yet I was kind of just getting going around that time um, but I'm like man that was so realistic and it also made me want to kind of also just, I was like, maybe I should kind of give stand-up more of a try. Because I had been to some mics and such over the years, but I was like, maybe, you know, that should be a new focus. Like, maybe after this play is done, um, even though I'm, I'm loving the play experience, maybe stand-up could be something I could pursue. So it started making me think about that. It also made me think about how they took a story they were so passionate about, uh, Kumail and Emily, and brought it to life and like it took some time and took effort and you know took getting some other people involved like michael show walter directed it and yeah and so it, it also just made me think of my play at the time which uh was a play that i you know had no play experience and i had just i'd written the idea about a year prior so it was a story um that was actually about uh, suicide and therapy and uh, a lot of dark subjects, but it was a dark comedy. Uh, the play was called How Does It Make You Feel? <laughs> and, that's an, uh, first of all, that's an amazing title. <laughs> a play about therapy. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, so it was like from... I, it also just started making me think about that story because like that story was so important to me because um the way I, I i've often described it to people i'm like it actually i think it saved my life twice in my life um once being when i first came up with it in like fall of 2016 uh i was in a really low place uh you know marriage was already um even only a year in was not doing well my grandma was dying my family was not reacting well my job was the ultimate in like toxic workplace yeah. and just like it felt like everything was awful uh, and so I used that play to distract myself and then that was like that project for that whole year and now a year later I was bringing it to life 
Um, but I love my wife. And so like, there was like, it felt like two different times when I was at my lowest, it kind of saved me. And just thinking about how this story that they made with this movie was so important to them. And then like, I was making this play that was so important to me. And I was like, man, like, it is really cool that like, when you get the right people involved to help you, you can bring the stories you really want to, to life. And, um, I felt very similar to them and like, I could relate to them because, I had gotten a friend with theater experience involved to help kind of guide me because I had no idea how to make a play. And you could just tell that, like, the big sick, well, like, some movies, you know, are obviously made well, but I think you could just tell that this was made with so much love and passion because it was their story. Um, All the actors involved gave great performances. The performances they got were very real. And so... Yeah, I just, um, <clears throat> I think I really related to it. And so, like, I was just, I'm, I'm just rambling here. Uh, <laughs> no, you're, just, you're fine. Uh, just, after yeah. the movie, it just was like, oh, my God, there's so many other things I could be thinking about. Um, opposed to just, are people going to come opening night? And if they're going to come, are they going to laugh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to follow this up with an, and how does that make you feel question, <laughs> uh, but... You know, you talk about creating a work that's super important to you and hoping that that will, that other people will connect with it. And then watching this movie that was deeply personal for Kumail and Emily, watching people connect with it, like as both an appreciator of film and theater and someone who, who makes, who makes that kind of art, what does that feel like to, to either like to you, how does that feel to watch people connect with something so deeply personal? The experience with that play, because um, I came from a more film background. I went to Columbia for film and I, I love writing. But the thing that kind of stinks about movies and television is like as the creator um, or the writer involved with it, you can't always see how the audience reacts unless you're like there with them watching it. Whereas like theater uh, or stand up, um, live entertainment, I could be in the audience on multiple nights and I could see them reacting. I could talk to them right after the show in the lobby. Stand up, it's just me up there. Uh, and so while my play was covered some very heavy issues, the whole point of it was also making a comedy to kind of distract people because in 2016 at the time was, you know, (laughs) we're just, we're just gesturing into the wind. Uh, 2016 was a kind of stressful time for a lot of people in this country. And I wanted to make something that could cover dark things, but also make them laugh and maybe just take them away from what was happening. And I often want to do that with my work. And so to have the big sick do that for me, it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is why I do this. This is why I make things. Uh, and I often have always fell into comedy because when you make someone laugh, you know, I think it just brings them from whatever else they may be thinking about. And that's what I want to do. Cause it means so much when, media and such can do that for me you i think you nailed it i think laughter and i'd say this is someone who tries to be funny i guess um <laughs> laughter is great comedy is great because it cuts the tension yeah. you can make people laugh they'll relax a little bit 
They'll feel more comfortable with whatever is about to happen. Tough stuff, easier to talk about and easier to deal with. I think a lot of people sometimes talk about comedy as a as a mask or a, as a distraction or a, a wall of, you know, the doctor, I am Pagliacci, all, all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But really, I think it, it encourages more facing your stuff head on. Yeah, I mean, it can definitely be a distraction. But I think it, like you said, can really ease tension. I mean, I, I think I've always, I joke that I fell into comedy because I was the younger sibling <laughs> and it was to get the attention of the adults who it felt like they weren't paying attention. And yeah, so it's like you just be goofy a little, then they'll look at you and then they'll pay attention. And I just kind of always enjoyed that feeling. And also just later realizing that like, well, well, I like comedy because like we've been talking about, like it can distract me from other things. So yeah, I, I love even like at my job, uh, we have these Friday meetings and for uh, like a tenure, uh, I was the person in charge of the meetings. And so I filled the meeting with jokes because I'm like, it's Friday. We've just had a stressful week and like we're all in a call center. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us, this is not where we want to be. But, you know, like, let's laugh a little. We only got a couple more hours before the weekend. And so, like, I think uh, some of my coworkers appreciated that because, yeah, there's you know, a lot of us, you know, we're working and we have families or we have uh, tons of things going on. Um, but, like, when you laugh, it just kind of, I don't know. And that's why some people tune in to certain TV shows every night uh, when they're airing or when a certain show drops, they'll binge it because they're like, oh, I just need this. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a particular show that, that does that for you that you want to highlight? Um, in general or, or like current, like it's currently running or? However you want to answer that. I mean, I think there's a lot of comedy shows that uh, I've loved. I mean, my all-time favorite was Seinfeld. Uh, I often say that I think uh, by finding Seinfeld at such an early age helped me start questioning things because it was the show about nothing. Right. <laughs> and then I would look at things differently. Obviously love some other classic, uh, well, uh, not classic as an old, but uh, great comedies like Community or uh, Rick and Morty, Parks and Rec. Uh, there's a ton I can name, but yeah, there's so many that, yeah, I, I just love comedy so much because the thing too that's also kind of a curse when you're in writing and comedy is you can start to see formulas and so you can kind of see jokes coming so then you kind of seek out different types of humor because you're like well i need something that i don't see coming (laughs) and so that's why i think i always fell towards dark humor because it's really like you don't see it coming at all a classic movie that I love recommending to people if they haven't seen it for some reason is Clue, um, <laughs> which Clue is where I got a lot of the tone from my play. Um, because in Clue, they'll like move, be moving a dead body and accidentally like drop it. And, <laughs> and they just don't see how that's weird and how that's funny. And like the one part, they're like six dead bodies. This is getting out of hand. (laughs) (laughs) Not the first one or the second one, but now that it's six, now it's getting out of hand. (laughs) I honestly can't think of a movie that better 
exemplifies our current national mood than Clue. <laughs> like, specifically, the Madeline Kahn flames on the side of my face <laughs> monologue. That's That's how I feel most of the time. <laughs> flames, flames on the side of my face. <laughs> God, I love Madeline Kahn. Yeah, that's... Uh... That movie, I always recommend to people. It has a very slow start, I think, because it kind of is getting you there. And then once it gets going, it just doesn't stop. And it's so much fun. And yeah, I I love that humor because I often didn't see it coming. It didn't like present itself like like Will Ferrell movies or certain Judd Apatow movies. It's like, uh, we're all just spitting out funny one-liners and da-da-da-da-da. Whereas this was more of a comedy that like these different people brought together with this weird situation and like funny wordplay and also uh, physical comedy and kind of antics and shenanigans and whatnot. Judd Apatow, the the funny one-liners thing is great, but at a certain point, you can't make a movie 45 minutes longer because there's <laughs> all these little one-liners you you can't get rid of. You gotta you gotta kill your darlings, my guy. And in the case of Clue, they did six of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and um, that, but that's also why most comedies are ninety minutes. <laughs> but then Judd Apatow was like, "Oh, they'll be two hours or over two hours." I'm like, "Oof, oh boy!" No movie should be over ninety minutes. <laughs> this is this is the official "I'll be there for you" party line on that. <laughs> None. None should be over uh, under over ninety minutes. Yeah, if there's a scene that feels like the end, and there's fifteen minutes more of movie, cut it. slop it off trust me no one will miss it (laughs) yeah I the thing I appreciated also about Big Sick that I found it's not so like some people call them like dramedies Uh. Um, I don't super like that term I often like like because I could have called my play a dramedy but I prefer just calling it a dark comedy because I I love when so another movie that my play I based it off of um, which Big Sick had a similar feel sometimes. Uh, I wouldn't say a similar feel, but in Bruges, did you see in Bruges? Um, I'm going to be honest. I started watching in Bruges, but it was like two in the morning and I finally <laughs> fell asleep about 20 minutes in. We'll give it another shot. But like what I love about in Bruges and also Big Sick is their ability to one moment they're doing something funny and then another moment it's like emotional and maybe uh, like, cause sometimes it's like, Movies feel like they either need to be a comedy or a drama. Whereas, like, no, it's like, films can be both. (laughs) You can do both, guys. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Especially if you're trying to make it relatable. I mean, life can be both, and often is. Yeah, it could be something, like, incredibly awesome happens and you're laughing, but then you get a call that someone you know died. You, You know, like, that's just how life can be. And so that's why I love Big Sick at some points of the movie would be really hilarious and uh, just like awkward, funny comedy. And then a moment later, like, oh shit, it's getting real. Cause like, that's how life is. It, you don't know when things are gonna morph back and forth. And so like, I love when content can do that. Um, but also it's, it's also strange when you think about some stuff like, you know, like think about if like Seinfeld were to be emotional, like it doesn't make sense. And then, but then you think about, I don't know, like Breaking Bad would be funny sometimes, but sometimes it also felt, wait, was that just really funny right then? <laughs> like, and I think they leaned into that a little bit more with Better Call Saul. Yeah, 
Uh, I agree. And yeah, so like I just, I love when content can do both because I feel like it's very realistic. And also then you truly don't see what's coming. But when a movie's just comedy, it's like, I get it. It's going to be joke, joke, joke. It's going to set up this. It's going to set up this. Or drama. It's like, all right, this is going to be emotional. It's going to be a monologue and so forth. Um, but it could be both. <laughs> get you get you a movie who can do both. Yes. <laughs> They're usually better. That's why I often love Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin, um, or even Tarantino. Movies that they'll randomly be making you laugh, and then a moment later they'll do something dramatic and try to make you cry. <laughs> I have a feeling there's a Sorkin episode impending. <laughs> um, that's that's we we could go on for for a while here, but um, unfortunately, want to we're about to run out of time, so I want to start kind of winding things down here. Okay. So, what's your relationship like with the Big Sick now? Um, yeah, so like I've seen uh, obviously when it came out of DVD and bought it out, uh, bought it. Uh, a big DVD fan with a large collection. Um, I've watched it, it's funny, only a couple times since then, but it's because it's a movie that I want to sit and watch the whole thing fully through. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there's other movies that I don't mind throwing on and watching for 20 minutes and then continuing later. But this was a movie that I love sitting and watching from start to finish. Um, I know that people watch things differently, but yeah, so I've only watched it a couple of times since then. It's still what I consider my favorite movie because it had such a deep impact on me. Um, I also just think it's... You said deep impact. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I think it, it, to me, I don't want to say it's like perfect, but because like there is no perfect movie, but no. like, I think it... For me, it, like I said, it covers all the bases. Good performances. It's funny. It's an original story. It uh, can make you emotional. It, uh, yeah, it just is. It's shot well. It's edited well. It feels very tight. Like sure, there's some stuff they can maybe cut, but I feel like every movie you can think that it. Ju- it, it also, I will say, it juggles a few different storylines very well. Whereas, like sometimes some movies, they can barely handle the one. <laughs> but this movie it handles uh, some conflict with his family conflict with uh, her family conflict with him and her conflict with his own career it like covers a lot because also like that's what we do with our own lives we juggle our career we juggle our family we juggle our relationships and I feel like it covered it so well because like that's what we all have to do we have to juggle all these things it's never usually just one thing. We're about to wrap it up here, but uh, there's one question I always like to ask people who come on the show, which is, what is something outside of pop culture that you do to practice self or community care? I think one thing that I've been trying to be better about, well, for myself, that I have a problem with is, uh, I'd say, both sleep and working out. Um I've been seeing a personal trainer since the summer and it kind of helps me take care of myself better because I'm a bigger guy. I eat a lot. I'm also a comedian who's around bars and beer a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, that, and then I discovered that I, uh, I will say I I recommend to more people uh, go to the doctor. I know it's a little bit harder for some, but like go because I found out that I had sleep apnea. So uh, that's why I wasn't sleeping 
write for the past like 10 years. <laughs> and so now I have a mask that helps me sleep much better. And so uh, self-care is like, if you think something's wrong or something doesn't feel right, go to the doctor because there could be something simply wrong. Um, and you never know, it could be a simple fix. Um, and also, like I said, working out has helped me just have generally more energy. Those are great suggestions. Brandon Prozac, thank you so much for coming on to uh, this episode of I'll Be There For You. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Where can people find you online? And do you have anything else coming up that you want to plug? Yeah, and thank you for having me. Um, you could find me online on Instagram uh, at Brandon Prosek. Um, P-R-O-S-E-K is my last name. Uh, the next show that I'm producing is Brews and Bad Movies 9. Um, it's going to be at Music Box Theater on March 18th. We uh, have some great comedians, uh, and then we are watching Leprechaun in Space. <laughs> yes! Yes! Yeah, it's, uh, that series has way too many films, and that's one that's probably the most ridiculous. Um, at one point, the Leprechaun has a lightsaber. Uh, Perfect. Great. <laughs> if that didn't sell it to you, I don't know what will. But yeah, you can also follow... Um, my production company, Entertainment Buffet, on social medias, uh, or at Bruise and Bad Movies on Instagram. Um, so yeah, we do that show about once a month. I produce my other shows about once a month as well. Um, so yeah, we keep everything posted on there. You can find my podcast on there and such. And yeah, so please come out to Bruise and Bad Movies at Music Box Theater in Chicago. Uh, we're in the lounge. Uh, last time we did Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and it was so much fun. The crowd pretty much turns into like something you would see at like Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, where uh, or like the room where the crowd gets rowdy and laughing, and it just feels like a big group hangout. Um, so yeah, please come out to that. Uh, the comedians we got are also incredible. So uh, yeah, that should be a lot of fun, and I'll be hosting that next show. So awesome. Brandon, thank you again. This has been I'll Be There For You, a podcast about pop culture and coping. We release new episode. We release new episodes every other Sunday to help you beat those Sunday scaries. You can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to podcasts on at IBTFYPod on most social media. And if you want to be a guest and talk about your favorite movie, or the album that got you through a rough patch, or um, the figure skaters you thirsted after. <laughs> We're an open book here. Uh, you can email me at, I, at I'll be there for you pod at gmail.com. Again, that's I'll be there for you pod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and take care, everybody. <laughs>